Hey, welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Today's guest is Starward Whiskey founder, Dave Vitale. Uh, I had a really, really great conversation with Dave. Starward Whiskey is from Australia. It's, uh, it's a product of Melbourne. Um, I've never been to Australia. I didn't even know whiskey came from Australia. Um, this was a really cool conversation. Definitely eye-opening. Definitely informative in terms of, you know, there's so many different whiskeys out there. There's opportunities for people to taste whiskey from so many different regions of the world. Um, and had, like I said, never tried anything from Australia. And so the opportunity to get a couple bottles from Dave was really cool. And uh, I had a great chat with him. I really enjoyed the whiskey. The difference that you're going to find in this whiskey is that unlike finished bourbons that are finished for a matter of, you know, brief period of time in a secondary barrel, um, Starward ages their whiskey in red wine barrels for the entirety of its aging process. So it comes out very different. Um, it's a different flavor profile than I've ever experienced with a whiskey or bourbon. Um, so I would definitely suggest trying this out. The bottles Dave had sent me, um, they've got their twofold and, uh, this is an 80 proof, uh, and then their Nova, which is an 84 proof, I believe 82 proof. Um, both really cool bottles, both delicious. Um, they're, they're very unique. They're very good. Um, these are bottles I would definitely buy myself. In fact, Dave and his, uh, team gave me a discount code. If anybody wants to try these, if you go to starward.com, you can type in the code BPB and get 20% off. Um, I don't get anything for that. So I'm not trying to push this on people, but if you want to try this out, if you've never had it, they're both very affordable to begin with, but there's an extra 20% off if you go to starward.com and use the code BPB. Um, check these ones out. I think you're going to really like these. These are definitely something very cool, very unique, very different to have on your shelf. Um, definitely something neat that you'd be able to offer a guest uh, and probably something that they've never had. And it's a really good price, especially if you use the code. So Try these out. Try the twofold. Try the Nova. I really like both of them. Uh, check out the links below to support the Barrel Proof Baseball podcast. And uh, make sure you download, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Apple, and uh, check out this interview with Dave Vitale. All right. Cheers. All right, I'm here with Dave Vitale from Starward uh, Whiskey. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, Tony. It's kind of um, really, really exciting to be in the States now with, with um, you know, this new wave and interest in modern whiskeys, you know, whiskeys from other places. Mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, I think it's cool because, you know, you have like your bourbon groups that have, you know, obviously taken off, but I think there's obviously been like a, like you said, kind of an expansion into other whiskeys and some interest that's, you know, expanding outside of just bourbon itself. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we did, I mean, I did a, a um, you know, typically two or three times a week now, particularly um, over the last 12 months, you know, we've done a lot of virtual um, tastings and most mm -hmm. of those tastings have been with bourbon groups. And I think when I first started, it was almost a little bit cheapish you know like uh, sure. i don't know if we should be kind of having this conversation with 
you know, bourbon drinkers. But the great thing is, um, I think I think people have a really open mind now about whiskey coming from other places. And, you know, I've got to thank Japanese whiskey for that, right? Um, a little bit of Irish whiskey, that's always been, been around, obviously. But um, certainly with um, Japanese whiskey over the last five or six years, it's sort of like made people sort of say, okay, well, yeah, good whiskey can come from anywhere really um mm. if they've got great ingredients and know what they're doing and and so we've been uh, welcomed with open arms into the united states which has been um amazing i think it's cool because you're right like the the irish whiskey and obviously scotch groups and and the fans of of irish whiskey and scotch i think would probably gravitate towards those but again like you said the japanese whiskey seems to be taking off and it's something i haven't i haven't dove in too much outside of you know you're kind of a standard hibiki or or something you know you're going to find it like total wine or a lot of places so i think it's really cool starting to hear about about whiskeys coming out of other places i mean i think the process i think the bourbon people i think mostly are really interested in the process of making it and um, you know, but once they find out that not all bourbon has to come from Kentucky and they realize, well, there's bourbon from other places that it's really good as well. Um, maybe there's all sorts of whiskeys from good places. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for us, when we first started, um, thinking about Starwood, you know, I love whiskey spelled both ways, you know, and Bush mentioned I'm the founder of the company. So like, mm. you know, um, literally 14 years ago, yesterday, you know, like I kind of said, that's it, I'm doing this. Um, and it wasn't a very difficult decision to make given, um, you know, it was a little bit naive. Like the decision was easy, but then you kind of realize, okay, I've got a blank sheet of paper here. I, if I want to be a whiskey that's in everyone's sharing cabinet at home, right? Like not the special occasion cabinet that someone has once every now and then, but mm -hmm. something they kind of go to like a bourbon or a scotch or a rye or an Irish whiskey, then we can't be that, you know, that's already been done and that slot's been taken on the shelf, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden it was like, well, what do we stand for and how do we kind of turn up for a drinker that's interesting for them, you know? And so that was kind of, um, the starting point I wanted it I wanted it to be distinctly Australian so that like you could kind of have that the same way bourbon is un, you know undeniably an American whiskey right um, and scotch particularly those peated whiskies have got that distinctive char character to them I wanted the same thing but I wanted it to be really approachable and accessible as opposed to something that becomes an acquired taste mm -hmm. you know and yeah. so that was kind of the brief like a really accessible whiskey that had a had a reason to be in the sharing cabinet um, that sort of gave people the opportunity to take um, whiskey for a different walk than they normally would, right? Sure, yeah. And um, so that's that was the impetus. And then you kind of then go, all right, well, what are, what are we going to do about that? And how do we kind of turn up? And as you know, I think that... Um, all great whiskies kind of talk to the place they're made, right? In terms of ingredients, the climate mm -hmm. and process. And so we kind of le leaned into that. Um, um, we've got an you know, amazing, you know, um, you know, we've got an abundance, you know, of grains that grow in, in um, particularly our neck of the woods. So within a day's drive of our distillery down in Melbourne, um, we have, um, the wheat belt, but also we grow a lot of uh, malted barley. So that was kind of, that informed what style of whiskey we were going to make, you know. 
-hmm. And then, um, you know, in terms of barrels, obviously um, we don't have a, a, an indigenous oak, but like America, there's plenty of American oak and, and uh, French oak that just so happened to be in wine barrels, right? So what we did was basically sourced those wine barrels and, and used them to age our whiskey from the day it's made. And, you know, we were just talking off air about um, Melbourne's climate. I mean, everyone knows there's a huge outback in the centre of Australia and that has a huge impact on our climate. But we've also got another desert, which is to the south, called Antarctica. So those two kind of um, uh, deserts, for want of a better term, have a huge impact on the climate for ageing the whisky. So all of those things kind of made me feel really confident about saying, yeah, I think we've got a story to tell and, and something that we can kind of... Um, you know, make a difference with from a flavor, from a process and, and style perspective. But Tony, I reckon that the best whiskies in the world not only talk to the place they're made from ingredients, but also from a cultural point of view too, right? Like, um, and that's important for me, you know, sure. uh, coming from, from Melbourne. How, so, okay, let's go back. Let's go to you first and foremost. How did you personally get into whiskey? And, and I mean, were you a whiskey fan and you thought, man, this would be something cool to do that we could like expand on, like you said, something that's authentically Australian um, and make it, you know, available. Was that a, was that a goal for you in terms of, you know, something that you wanted to do for a long time, or did you kind of just find yourself becoming more interested in it? And it was something that, you know, you decided to pursue. Starwood was meant, yeah, it's a good question. Starwood was meant to be a, a microbrewery, right? Mm. Um, that was my first idea into booze and, and what I wanted to do. But, um, you know, we all know that good beer doesn't travel well, right? Like, that's why they're all local. Mm -hmm. And I really had an itch to scratch, I guess, to kind of have something that we could take to the world. You know, like, whatever, whatever I did, I wanted to export it and have it sort of um, showcased around the world. And so I shelved that um, microbrewery idea and actually did some consulting work with, with um, some high growth startups in Tasmania, which is a different state to my hometown. It's um, the island state. And I just got to discover that, you know, um, hey, they, they make really good whiskey down here. And actually there's a lot in common, particularly with single malt whiskeys, with... Um, with and single malt craft whiskies with um, brewing, like with with a microbrewery. In fact, you know that the first, I you know I'd say forty or forty percent of the flavor that you get in Starwood is is actually from brewing the brewing side of things, right? The malted barley, the fermentation, the style of grain that we're looking for, the temperature that we ferment at, all those things have a huge, you know, the style of yeast we're using have a you know, profound impact on the flavor profile of Starwood. So I got really excited by the fact that maybe I can just kind of morph my microbrewery idea into a whiskey and then have that each scratched to sell it overseas. Um, there's only one, there's a few complications, but the big one is you got to wait, right? Like um, unlike beer and white spirits where you can just kind of Turn um, make it, fill a bottle and then sell it you know with whiskey you've got to age it and so that was a that was um a test of patience right um but we're here which is great yeah i'm sure the uh i'm sure the initial time because i just saw that on the nova it said it was aged two years uh yeah. i didn't see the twofold but 
you know, when you're waiting for two years and you're watching those barrels just get older, it's like, all right, I want to, want to get those out to people. It's got to be, yeah. it's got to test your patience. Yeah, it sure does. And, and, you know, like um, they're actually, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper into this, but they're actually closer to three to three and a half years, but okay. sometimes that we've just got some barrels that are good to go in that sort of two to two and a half year time frame, um, that we just figured that I've got nothing to hide. The product speaks for itself. Um, let's just, you know, let's put the minimum age that we're aging to, um, even though the majority of it would be three to three and a half years of age. But yeah, you're right. It's just, you just like every day I like, can still like visualize myself, like staring at myself in the mirror while brushing my teeth, thinking I just have to get to market. And when we do that, we're going to, you know, things will be great. But, you know, I guess, um, coming back to that origin story, you know, for, for me, it was like, we, I know we can make great whiskey. They, these guys in Tasmania have been doing it for quite some time, but, you know, it's very, very, very much of that single cask, small batch production mindset. And that doesn't lend itself well to the sharing cabinet, right? Like it's um, scarce. So the price of it's quite, you know, high, um, but also, by design, those whiskies are different, right? And I think one of the things that you want in a sharing cabinet whiskey is something that's consistent from batch to batch. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of, you know, some of the other things that for me were really important that we kind of had a really consistent product that we could kind of, people could, people could rely on and turn to and say, yeah, I, I know exactly what I'm getting with this and it delivers on that promise every single time. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I think that's, you know, it's nice when you get the single barrels and people, you know, really like the single barrel, you know, programs that different distilleries have. And I think it's, you know, it's a lot of fun to compare some of them, but um, I think there is a point where you do want consistency when you know what you're going to get um, because there's, there's some really good single barrels from big distilleries that I've had that like, some bottles I really like and some I don't. Um, so I think there is that hit or miss aspect to it that, you know, people do enjoy the, the consistency for a lot of different, you know, bottles they want to try out. Yeah, right. I think it's a great way to kind of peel away at the at the um, complexity that goes into making a batch of whiskey, you know, and particularly at Starwood, because we're using wine barrels, we're in the hands of the winemaker, right? So mm -hmm. some of them are Shiraz barrels, some of them are Cabernet, then we've got French and American oak, you know, you know, some of them are one vintage barrels, some of them are three or four. So like, you know, all together, there could be, you know, 60 or 70 different types of barrels that you know, we've got in the bond store that kind of make twofold and Nova what they are, you know, which is, which is a task in and of itself, our blending team, you know, I, I got off easy, you know, very, very early on, you know, I was, I guess, um, wise enough to recruit some really talented guys and girls to the team to kind of take care of that for me, um, because I know what I like in a finished product. But actually getting to that point is, you know, it's science, man. Like, you know, and and they, they you know, it's a mixture of art and science and they just kind of nail it. And so I'm so proud of them and um, grateful that they're on the team. They're actually ex-winemakers, which makes a lot of sense if you think about how much influence those barrels have on the yeah. whiskey and where they've come from. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. So in the brew house, when we're when we're making the the white dog, the you know to go into barrel, we we recruit brewers from microbreweries, so I can kind of do some innovation work with them and you know tinker at the sides and do some cool mm -hmm. stuff with the brewers to to scratch my 
you know, I'm still a frustrated homebrewer itch. And um, in the in the warehouse, in the bond store, we um, hire winemakers. So it's a very different approach to kind of um, developing flavor and then kind of crafting a whiskey. How how tedious of a task, not tedious in a bad way, but how tedious is that task of finding the winemakers that are making wine that you feel are going to go best with your whiskey? Yeah, early on, that's a really good question because early on when we were when we were kind of sourcing these barrels, it was like, I know this wine. They make mm-hmm. amazing wine. The quality and integrity of the companies unquestioned will take all of them. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, what we learned was that like a, a $100 wine, you know, that, um, well, a barrel that had a $100 wine in it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good barrel for Starwood, right. right? And it took us some time to figure that out. And so, yeah, it is quite, we, we know what we're looking for now. And we've got really good, strong relationships with key suppliers, about 40 wineries around Australia that we work with, plus or minus. And, and um, they know what we're looking for. They know how to kind of look after the barrels for us um, so that when we kind of use them, they're going to be um, in the pocket, you know, from a flavor point of view. So you'd mentioned some of the grains that you're getting that are, that are native to Australia, obviously to try to keep it, you know, authentically Australian. And you're yeah. doing the same with the wine barrels as well. Well, yeah, so it's all Australian red wine barrels. So, you know, and this is the wonderful thing, right? So within a day's drive, you've got the grain belt that has all of that wheat and malted barley, but we also have, uh, I'm going to say 30 out of those 40 wineries easily within a day's drive of the distillery Mm -hmm. too, right? So we can kind of get those barrels from the winery, wine goes out, whiskey goes in. And, you know, for, for those bourbon drinkers, they all know that like, you know, typically we, we char a barrel, right? Um, but these are just, uh, you know, bright red, that sort of like uh, ruby red color, the inside of the barrels, that ruby red color, because we want, um, we want all that flavor from the wine and the oak to come in. Um, and that's quite a novel thing, but, and we can't have the barrels too far away if we want to do that, because otherwise the wine turns to vinegar. What kind of, in terms of international, you know, shipping and trying to get wine or trying to get the whiskey that, you know, once you've aged it, you put it in the wine barrels. Now you're trying to get that out. I mean, how just logistically, how difficult is that to manage getting those barrels shipped throughout the world or, or wherever you're distributing, distributing them to? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously um, what we'll do is bottle the whiskey in Melbourne and then kind of uh, ship the finished products in bottles to different markets. Um but it's, it's three people's full-time job now. I mean, we're in about 30 markets nationally, into, you know, globally, I should say. And um, interestingly, the cost of shipping is, is, you know, if you think about Australia, it's very, even though it's as big as the United States, there's not much in the middle, right? So mm. shipping something from the East Coast to the West Coast of Australia is almost the same price as shipping the same container across the Pacific Ocean to the United States. So the shipping bits, you know, manageable. Obviously, we've got all sorts of problems that have come out of like, um, you know, all of the the demand issues and and supply issues from the last 12 months and also then the Suez Canal, you know, craziness. So, you know, it's added time, but it's a relatively... um, you know, it's just part of the process. 
the big challenge that I kind of, you know, it was a bit of a baptism of fire coming to the United States is that like, you know, if we're selling in France or if we're selling in the UK, it's one market. It's one kind of, one kind of uh, universal and generic market that we're working. Sure, there's regions and they've got the different sort of um, supply chains and, and, and retailers that we work with, but it's one way of doing business. And here in the States, um, it's 50 ways of doing business, right? Mm. Like, you know, each state has its own regulations and laws. Mm. And I think it's a byproduct of prohibition. Um, but it, it, it has kind of lifted, like it, it has kind of, it's great in a way because it really means that we spend some time learning more about each market before we make a decision to kind of launch into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but boy, oh boy, you know, like that last, you know, you know, from, from the, we've got two ports that we landed on, you know, one in New Jersey and the other one's in um, the Bay Area. And, you know, the, the last two or 300 miles is the hardest almost in terms of getting it, you know, to to the shelf of the retailer and, and then um, available to drink. And, and that's, I guess, to be expected in some ways. It's a pretty, you know, when you look at the bourbon shelf of a total wine or mm-hmm. a good independent retailers like what 30 or 40 feet of bourbons right like on that right. aisle um so no one's going to give up their spot for you know friendly day from australia to have his spot on the on the shelf so we're going to fight for it um and um that's good that's the way it should be you know so okay so what is the and i don't know if you would have this uh off the top of your head but generally speaking once you've taken you know, the whiskey out of the barrels, you've bottled them. What is the turnaround time, for example, to get them from Melbourne to, you know, somewhere in the United States on the shelf? Oh, on the shelf? Um, yeah, we we budget around six months. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so there's, there's some turnaround. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, we're growing quite fast here, but it also means that like, um, if I didn't get my forecasts right six months ago as to how fast we're growing, we'll run out, you know. So, and certainly now with all of this sort of logistics stuff, you know, it sometimes creeps into seven months. And then, like, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat, kind of weirdly hoping that we don't get a big order, you know, which yeah. is kind of like <laughs> it's backwards. Up, right. Yeah. So, it's almost like the bourbons that are waiting for, you know, four years or what have you, or something they have, you know, earmarked to be a 10 year bourbon. Um, the ones those are bottled, I have to imagine when they're shipping from Kentucky or wherever else, to, you know, Tennessee or what have you, Texas, uh, they're going to be on the shelf relatively quickly. So like you said, you're talking about aging it, forecasting sales for that six month period that it's in really in transit to, to mm-hmm. get to the shelves. Yeah. And that's all whiskey. We, you know, I mean, it's costing us money to obviously package it and hold it and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So as a startup, you know, taking the leap to move into the United States was a pretty big one. You know, like yeah. it was a big deal for us to kind of make that decision because all of a sudden, you know, everything's bigger in the United States, right? Which is a great thing, but also um, it comes with complexity, which is, which you've got to be ready for. And I'm, look, you know, there's a reason why I moved, moved here to the States to kind of support the brand because, you know, if I had heard the things that I'd seen and had to kind of work around to kind of get our whiskey to 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 drinkers, I wouldn't mm. have believed it. You know what I mean? You yeah. have to kind of see it and go, okay, I guess this is the way, 
you know, things are going to be and that you just kind of work with it, you know. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I can't lie, the last 12 months have been a bit of a challenge because, you know, 40% of our business in terms of hospitality, bars and restaurants, you know, shut down overnight. Um, but the good news is that we're just starting to see now that a lot of those accounts um, that had Starwood on the shelf before things shut down are actually ordering again, right? So That's people good. have got a memory of the product and obviously like it because they're picking it up again and, and making recommendations to drinkers to try it. So that's pretty exciting. Now, when did you, I think the, before we started, did you say it was 2019 you moved to Seattle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so March was the, 2019. So when, when did everything kind of get started in Australia for you in terms of getting the brand going? And then, you know, at what point did you make that decision to move to the States to kind of help with, you know, yeah. that side of the expansion? So um, we started the company in uh 2007 literally uh june 16th 2007 so it's like 14 years old yesterday which is kind of nice wow. and happy anniversary um, yeah um and then it took us a few years like you know if you recall 2008 wasn't the best year economically to kind of mm -hmm. and you know we were raising capital to kind of get things going so it took us a year and a half to raise the capital mm -hmm. to then set up the distillery and then um start making the whiskey so our first release came onto market in 2013. And then um, we really focused in the Australian market up until about 2017 and started to export into the UK in 20, late 2017 and then, um, and then started to broaden out into Europe and Japan um, at the same time as we launched in, the, in America in September 2018. But I knew the minute, and, and you know, we laid, we thought we laid enough away to kind of support all of those markets, including the United States. So I kind of knew when we made that decision to invest in making the whiskey, that that would also mean that we'd, we'd you know, I'd move here as well. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's a big step, you know, like to kind of take three kids and sort of yeah. move them halfway across the world and sort of, uh, but it's the only way we, you know, in my view, it's the only way we can succeed as a startup whiskey brand in the United mm -hmm. States. Now, what you mentioned 30, was it 30 different markets in terms of that international? Yeah. Like so, um, yeah, mostly, mostly in Europe and Asia. Like, okay. so the obvious ones in Europe, France, Germany, um, mm -hmm. the UK, Italy, um, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, Norway, oh. Denmark, all that sort of area. Yeah. I think we're moving a bit further east and then um, uh, all through throughout Southeast Asia, not China, but Hong Kong, um, all the way down to basically Indonesia. So, and, and of course, Australia, and we're in about 40 states, you know, you can get Starwood delivered to 40 states online now. Um, yeah. And we have, um, you know, our team is in, I'm just trying to think now, we're in um, seven markets on the ground. So nice. quite a, you know, like we've, we've quite a big team that we've sort of um, invested in locally to kind of uh, make sure that we can follow through. There's no such thing as just sort of waving 
waving a case of whiskey goodbye at the sort of uh, tasting room and saying, okay, that one's going to America, right? What's next? Yeah. It's, you know, we've got to, you know, we see it right through to you yeah. know, doing samplings and the whole thing um, with our own team. So, okay. Getting into the whiskey itself, what, you know, you talked about kind of some of those, those native grains that are happening. So you mentioned the malted barley and wheat. Those, are those mm. two primarily grains that are used, um, you know, for coming from Australia? Yeah, most most distilleries, uh, well, actually, I would have said five years ago, most distilleries would have just been focusing on malted barley. So um, the predominant whiskey made in Australia would have been a single malt whiskey. But today, you know, you're getting amazing rice, you're getting um, corn mash bills, so very much like a bourbon style, I guess, but with all Australian ingredients. Um, you're getting... Um, um, you know, we've got with twofold, like a, a weeded whiskey. So it's 60% wheat, 40% malted barley. So, you know, unlike bourbon where you can say, okay, here is, a, here is the quintessential style of America, you know, like in terms of a whiskey, it's either bourbon or a rye. Um, in Australia, it doesn't kind of fall down to grains. You know, like that's not something where you say, oh, Australian whiskeys are all single malts or Australian whiskeys are all weeded whiskeys. It's actually quite a, a diverse range. And it's the same thing with barrels. Like we're the only, as far as I know, the only distillery that kind of does that wet filling of wine barrels, you know, wine out whiskey in and ages it for the full aging in uh, red wine. There's lots of people that do red wine finishes, but okay, not- that, That's what I was gonna ask. Not red the, wine start, you know? So it's the, it's in the, the red wine barrels the entire time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's very different, you know, like um, different approach, but- uh, and we'll, we'll dig in a bit more into that when we taste the whiskies. But yeah, from an Australian perspective, we're just going to say, well, what does Australia make in terms of whiskies and what's available? Um, a lot of it is single malt. A lot of it is um, uh, rye, malted rye as well. So like people kind of taking um, rye and malting it and then mm. kind of uh, fermenting and distilling it. So um, very much like a single malt whiskey, but just with rye instead of barley. Mm -hmm. And then, um, um, you know, some quirky stuff as well, like some native grains like and quinoa and all sorts of different sort of wow. whiskies that are sort of uh, coming on the market. But, you know, I'm really optimistic that within the next two or three years, you're going to see more Australian whiskey over here. Like, I think a lot of people have been excited by the, by, you know, the modest success that we've had in, in the United States and they're kind of getting, a, you know, and I can't wait. I mean, I love all of them. I mean that, like, I take the keys to any of those distilleries, like, such is the quality that's being made in Australia. Like, mm -hmm. I can tell your audience right now that if you see an Australian whiskey on the shelf, you know, you don't have to worry about the quality. Like, it's more about, is it to my style and can I afford mm -hmm. it? You know, that's kind of typically the challenge with some of the other distilleries. Mm -hmm. I was. It's funny because everybody I've talked to in whiskey industries, it's almost like, obviously you are competing with other people because you want your sales to be, you know, very good. Uh, but it always seems like everybody is always complimentary of other distilleries and people who are just trying to make good whiskey. I think that's a, a uh, kind of been a staple from everybody I've spoken to. You know, they want to see people make good whiskey and they're, they're proud of the industry as a whole. And obviously everyone's kind of doing their own thing. But um, like you said, you take the keys to any one of them because you know the quality is going to be there. 
Yeah, absolutely, Tony. And, you know, the thing is that like a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So if, so, if someone else is doing well and getting, you know, gold medals, that's just going to have a natural benefit to all the other distilleries. And, yeah. you know, very early on, like when we launched, we were half the price of the next whiskey that was available on the shelf, next Australian whiskey that was available really? on the shelf. And that was just purely, you know, and, and whiskey is a supply and demand thing. It's pure yeah. economics when it comes down to costs, really. Like, um, uh, and, you know, we were able to scale up and make enough whiskey to get those fixed costs down, right? Yeah. And get, you know, have an abundance of, um, you know, the team could, you know, keep the stills hot all the time. So they were always working, right? So we really sweated those assets and kind of got the price down so that it was half the price of the next one along. And, you know, I think maybe for a moment, people are a little bit worried that we're going to undercut them or, you know, like that. But I can point, you know, you can basically look at a graph of Australian whiskey sales for all brands. And when we arrived, all of them went up because all of a sudden people had a lower rung on the ladder that they kind of step on. Mm -hmm to try it for the first time. Sure. And so, um, you know, I think that that's the same anywhere. Like, you know, if you think about um, Starwood in the United States, like there's a lot of amazing world whiskeys and whiskeys from all sorts of places now, you know, Taiwan and um, Israel and like Wales and England and all, like um, Denmark, you know, um, all of them bloody delicious, all of yeah. them really, really well crafted. But if you don't have something that's always there and um, at a price point that sort of means that people can give this new category a go, then they're always going to be really random, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I felt I love whiskey spelled both ways from anywhere around the world. And so for me, it was like almost a duty to make sure that when people tried Starwood and particularly Twofold, which sort of sits at a $30 to $35 price point, depending on which market you're in, um, that they were kind of really um, pleasantly surprised with the quality and the character and the flavor such that they'd kind of go, I might give another one a go. And it doesn't have to be Star Wars, it's just that whole category. So um, we're mates. In fact, we do a lot of work with the other, other world whiskeys, other distilleries, you know, those new to market whiskeys and do like um, a world whiskey roadshow because you know our budgets aren't that great we're not you know brown foreman right so yeah. so we go you know we pull them together and then kind of do a little bit of a roadshow with journalists or we might do some master classes back in the day you know with with consumers that took them for a walk around the world of whiskey which is a lot of fun yeah. um and they no to your point no one feels like we're competing against each other we're just opening people's eyes to the possibilities yeah, I think that part's cool because like you said, you mentioned Brown Foreman, like when you talk to craft distilleries here in the States, you're not going to go go and take down Buffalo Trace or Brown mm -hmm. Foreman or Heaven Hill. Like you're trying to do your own thing and everyone's trying to do their own thing and, and just make good whiskey that people like and That's it. it makes it fun. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I think for me, you know, the thing was that like, okay, I know my journey into whiskey and it came from beer, right? Like it's not like I grew up with lots of whiskey around. Sure. You know, basically, you know, my mum used to give our accountant a bottle of Shivers Regal 12-year-old mm -hmm. for Christmas every year. And, yeah. you know, growing up in a really multicultural neighbourhood, 
my Greek friend's dads used to play poker a lot and they'd have a bottle of Johnny Walker Black. That's mm. all I knew about whiskey, right? Like, and, and, you know, like obviously there was Jack Daniels and Jim Beam, but that was basically it, right? It wasn't part of my world view. Mm. But when I kind of came and looked at whiskey with, from a lens of like craft beer, I got really excited because you could see all of these new brands that were kind of telling a story and thinking about flavor first. And they were all really different and, and exciting and had a story to tell. And I fell in love. So, you know, for me, it was like, I didn't want to kind of convert, a, you know, one of my Greek friend's dads from Johnny Walker Black to Starwood. I just wanted to find people like me that were really excited about whiskey, but just didn't know where to start, you mm -hmm. know, and give them give them an entry point into, into this crazy world. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's a great way to look at it. I mean, it's like, there's so many different things to enjoy and, but it is, it's really easy to get stuck on, on one brand or one, even one distillery. I mean, I know a lot of people that they just like things out of wild Turkey and they are Jim beam and they stick with, you know, Jim beam products. Um, and probably not branch out as much as they, they could or should, um, you know, what I, what I loved, I know I've had a couple of conversations with Tess and I think she's out in Chicago, I believe. And, um, what's cool is like, when you hear somebody that's doing something and they're passionate about it and they believe in it, it's like, okay, like that makes you want to try something, you know, that makes it a lot more fun. Um, so I've, I've been excited to try these out. I was really excited when I got these things dropped off yesterday to, to give them a try before our, our conversation. But I said, I was going to wait until we were actually talking oh. to try these out. So I haven't opened these up. I just okay. poured them. So we got to get into these what's right, what do you well, recommend starting do we go nova or twofold 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 yes okay. so twofold's our double grain whiskey it's you know in an american context closest to a weeded whiskey right so it's 60 okay. percent wheat separately distilled and aged and 40 percent malted barley separately distilled and aged and then married together at the end of the process and all aged in those big aussie red wine barrels we talked about beforehand um and because of that high wheat content what we found is that like a lot of bourbon drinkers just kind of like really gravitate to twofold quickly because it reminds them of those weeded whiskeys, right? Like some of the, you know, Buffalo Trace family whiskeys or a Maker's Mark, you know, um, in terms of that roundness and softness mm. with a little bit of spice. But there's a whole heap of fruit, which is really, really different to what you'd get from a weeded bourbon coming from those wine barrels. I get that kind of that cereal note too on the nose like I, I, and i like that yeah i can see why people would uh from a bourbon side would like that it's definitely fruity but it's not like it's not overly fruity no it definitely sticks around right and so it's fruity but not sweet is kind yes. of typically what we say right because i think when you say fruit people think it candy Sweet. fruit or things like that uh, or mm -hmm. you know if you think of like historically like fruity whiskies from from the scotch world or like sherry barrels which are sweet right mm -hmm. so this has all that fruit um in there like berries um those kind of jammy notes a lot of people pick up on as well like um um but but not necessarily like um sweet characteristics you know um because actually if you think about it red wine's quite dry right and you don't think of yeah you know, i mean there are sweet red wines but shiraz and cabernet are not sweet wines right so there's not a lot of sweetness there and and the other thing that people get really kind of caught up on there's two things the first is 
wait a second, these barrels aren't kind of charred. Like, you know, if you think of bourbon barrels, they're mm -hmm. kind of alligator skin, right? These are not, I'm going to show you here, you know, like a, that's it there, right? Like, so they're just raw red wine barrels. There's about four gallons of wine in the oak when we get wow. them, even though the barrel's empty. And so um, uh, we're getting all that fruit characteristic from the wine, but we're also getting a lot of those toasted oak characters from the barrel. And the great thing about it is that, you know, all of the astringent kind of tannins and bits that can kind of be a bit tacky on the palate with, with um, oak is actually in the wine, right? Like that's why they use the barrels. They extract all of those oak tannins into the wine to give the wine structure. Um, so what we're left with is all of those softer, more delicate and delicious characters from the oak, right? So this is where you kind of get those caramel coconuts mm. and things like that from the American oak um, barrels, but also from the French oak barrels that we're using, you get a lot of baking spices. So cinnamon and nutmeg and all that sort of sort of family of things. So it's funny because I, I feel like in the bourbon side of things, people are really gravitating towards the high proofs. Mm. And I like some of them. Some of them are a bit much for me. Uh, they get a little, get a little spicy, you know, for my, for my taste, but yeah, I normally don't get to like a 40% bourbon for the most part. So at 40%, this lingers so long. I mean, it's just, it just sits in the back of your mouth, like forever. Um, and I'm watching like the legs on this thing are just still there after taking two sips. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's just more like viscosity to it or what, but like, this is a, I mean, there's some like depth to this that I was definitely not expecting. Right. And so here's the trick, right? If we come back to the whole brief, right? It's sharing cabinet whiskey. I want to bring people into the category. I want to find people that don't know they like whiskey yet and they're going to fall in love with Starwood, right? We're not going to do that with a pokey between the eyes, 120 proof, you know, yeah. monster. I don't get, I love them too, sure. right? And, you know, my middle daughter's name's Isla. So we love peated whiskeys at home, right? Yeah but they're an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. So what the trick for me was like, well, how do I get all of that complexity into the glass without there being all of the intensity that comes with it? Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, like I said, our secret weapon in that is these um, amazing barrels that we can source from wineries um, in and around Melbourne and um, in that Southeast Australian region. And, you know, I think that this is also where you, the 40% malted barley is giving it that length and linger, you know, lingering kind of yeah. aspect and, and those cereal characteristics that you're getting to. Yeah, I like I like the difference because like you said, it's got that fruitiness, but it's not overly sweet and it's got like the grain. I love the grain for, for me personally, like I really love um, what was what I had something that was like double malted or something and I just loved it. I mean, it almost tastes like Cheerios to me. Uh, right. with, like a, with like a sweet finish and I loved it um, but I think some of the bourbons like it almost the the shorter finish you know the three to six month finish um, it almost feels like you have bourbon and then it's like it hits you with fruit and then it's gone um, so I don't know if it's just the fact that it's aged the entire time in those mm -hmm. wine barrels that gives you like that depth to it but it, that's really nice yeah. And look, I think the other thing that um, we found with wine finishes and it's the same in Australia is, um, you know, you're getting two hits of oak, right? Like, mm. and, you know, particularly with bourbons, right? Go back to bourbon. I mean, that's brand new American oak, right? Mm -hmm. 
for three, four, five, six years. So you're getting a, a big dose of that sort of oak tannins and lignans going into the whiskey, which is pretty intense. And then on top of that, you've got um, effectively a virgin oak barrel with wine in it. Oh. So there's two, two hits of oak, right? And so that can be quite overwhelming um, to the palate. Um, and so, you know, and it's sort of like is a bit of a speed hump, you know, like you get a, a big hit of it and then it sort of goes away. And what we've got here is like, you know, what we're trying to aim for, I should say, is that like it's a, if you think of a, a triangle with three sides, it's got the spirit character, the fruit from the wine and the oak. And what we're trying to do is keep those sides of the triangle as close, you know, equal as, as possible. I'm, sh I'm shocked at how long this lingers. I, it, it really is. And I like, I, cause I think that's the problem with some of those high proofs is that they become unapproachable. Like you can't, if you're not an experienced person, if you're trying to, you know, get somebody into it, you're not going to hand them a barrel proof, something to go, Hey, try this out at, you know, 130 proof and see if you like it. It's not really for everybody. No, so you like, stop, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the 80 proof is, becomes very approachable and it's got such a nice nose to it, but it almost has that characteristic of a higher proof that sits in your mouth for so long. Wow, yeah. I think there's it's a lot really of complexity nice. there, you know, yeah. and that, that's, that's by design. You know, I didn't want it to be something that's just kind of like, well, okay, great. We've got mm. this novel whiskey from Australia, but it really, you know, I'm still just going to pick up the bourbon. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, um, taste, wanted, taste you know, it for like, a second's gone. Right. And, and you know, um, you know, if you're looking for something to smash on the porch, you know, like you, you know, you can kind of make this into an amazing highball, right? Either with mm. ginger, like, like just a seltzer or like we, it sounds weird, but um, we use tonic, you know, at the distillery, the drink on arrival for guests when we're doing like, um, sort of events and things like that is is uh, twofold with tonic believe it or not and it's a really refreshing kind of um, porch smasher and the great you know it talks to the fact that that depth and complexity is there that you can kind of add tonic to the whiskey and the whiskey still shines through it's it's weird i, I wouldn't normally add tonic to whiskey that wouldn't be it's, my my first choice it, it's not it's no it's not and you know a lot of people go you do what you know but, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like well if you're using ginger for goodness sake which is no shrinking violet when it comes oh, yeah. to like flavor right like it's pretty punchy why can't you use tonic and people oh, fair enough the interesting thing is that it doesn't work with all whiskeys like it needs yeah you know the the wine the red wine barrels kind of give it um you know complement the flavors really well um you know, some bourbons just don't kind of, it just doesn't work. And certainly some scotches, it's just, uh, yeah. it doesn't work at all. But um, you should give it a go. I, you know, in fact, one of the things that like is a lot of fun, particularly for new drinkers, is to kind of make a drink and just say, just drink it. You'll like it. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's got a spirit in it, but just try it. And yeah. then sort of they go, wow, it's delicious. What is it? And, you know, you say, oh, it's a bourbon or it's a scotch or it's a, Australian whiskey and people, sure. people go, what? You're like, I don't like whiskey. It's like, well, <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> you just didn't know, right? No, this is this is outstanding. I mean, it's a uh it's definitely a like being an approachable one that's unique is really cool. The fact that it's not overpowering with something that gives a lot of flavor, I think is great. I mean, I, I love the way like just the whole mouthfeel of it is great. The way it just kind of lingers and just sits like in the back of your mouth is just, it's awesome. I think it's the way it sticks around is uh, definitely worth getting. No, oh, thank you. Yeah. 
Um, uh, how, how long has this one aged? Yes. Yeah, so um, the, the wheat components about three and a half, three to three and a half years and the okay. single malts two and a half to three and a half. And that was what I was saying earlier. Like sometimes some of those single malt barrels are just, they're good, right? Because the barrel we've sourced from a winery that might be using smaller sized casks or um, they're only a one vintage barrel. So they've mm -hmm. only used them once at the winery and then they've come to us. So they're really generous and, you know, um, uh, delicious. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, two and a half years, we're ready to go. And the reason for that, like, you know, typically I say we age our whiskies for three Melbourne years on average, is that that Melbourne year is very, very different to anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, we've got the outback, you know, in the centre of Australia, which kind of influences the winds coming from the north into Melbourne. Hot, dry, you know, um, we, you're in Phoenix, right? Yeah. Phoenix winds, right? Phoenix wind. oh yeah. Yeah, and then within 20 minutes, it can be, you know, uh, coastal, like, you know, getting a lot of humid um, uh, winds from from the southwest, which is another desert called Antarctica. So like, you know, we're getting both of those sorts of uh, uh, um, influences on the barrel. So they're working hard all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I remember once, you know, when I'm doing the conversion, because um, <laughs> I've told this story a few times now, but basically it was about 110 when I left home and it's a 20 minute drive to the airport. And when I got out of the car at the airport, it was 65. Really? Yeah. And so it can drop that dramatically yeah. um, and then go back up again. You know, so if you ever watch the Australian Formula One Grand Prix or um, the Australian Open, you'll, you know, you'll see it. You'll notice it now. It's like, oh, yeah, the wind, I can see the weather's just changed, right? Yeah. It's always all over the place. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and tell me the price point again on this one. So um, two folds, 30 to $35, depending on which market we're in. Um, okay. And so, you know, we wanted to be a, it's a step up, right? Like it's a step up from your sort of like um, standard bourbons that you'd have on the shelf, but not ridiculous. Yeah. No, um, I think it's very, that's a great price. for. I mean, that's great price for that. And you can, can you order that online? You can. So you can go to our website, starwood.com and um, order, order uh, directly online. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the Nova. Nova. By the way, I, I got to tell you, I put a picture of both of these up on Instagram and I've had numerous comments about, for one, how cool the bottle is. I think that that was like a very uh, initial kind of common theme that people have been com commenting on is how cool these bottles are. I really like these. These yeah, are going to catch you. people's eye. And, you know, I guess just on that, right? Like when we started, I was pretty intent on making sure people weren't going to mistake us for a whiskey that had been around for a while because yeah. we're really proud of the fact that we're a modern distillery that, you know, wasn't tied down by traditions or anything like that. And we're just kind of marching to the beat of our own mm -hmm. drum. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that on the shelf, like we didn't, how can I put it? Like we didn't want to look like other whiskeys, but we also didn't want to look so foreign that people wouldn't then kind of pick it yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a fine line. It's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a balancing act. And um, I think we got it just right. You know, like it sort yeah. of is quite striking and sort of, sort of tells you that this is not a whiskey that is from around these parts. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> um, that's a good thing. Yeah. I like this. All right. So tell me about the Nova. 
So it's a hundred percent malted barley. This is a single malt whiskey. Like, so for those of you, you know, for your drinkers that are kind of familiar with Scotch whiskies or single malts, um, it's, there's no smoke in it. It's, it's not peated, um, but it does have a little bit of that character that you're familiar with. If you, if you like your space side, say scotches, which, which is that, you know, we've, we've got a base of um, malted barley that we're using. And so that's going to kind of give it a real lusciousness and a kind of, viscosity you know using your words earlier that kind of gives it amazing mouthfeel we're aging it in those red wine barrels as we discussed beforehand um, um and you know for, for those three years and it's a really um you know coming back to what we we're talking about beforehand there's a lot of complexity to this whiskey but it's not intense right so this is at 82 proof so we're mm -hmm. just stepping it up just a little bit but um, I call this our Netflix whiskey because you can kind of pour three or four fingers, queue up a series on Netflix and just kind of binge watch yep. movies and really get to know this whiskey over a couple of episodes because it opens up. It sort of really rewards loyalty because the more you sort of sit with it, the more you kind of unpack all of those different layers of flavors that are in, mm. in there. And like I said earlier, is, well, you know, there's about 60 different types of barrels that go into making each of these whiskeys, right? So, you know, from that point of view, like you're looking at the sum of the parts kind of being greater than any one individual um, component. Um, and it's, it's yeah, bloody delicious. Yeah, I get um, a lot of fruit, like yeah. a lot of fruit on this one. Um, I don't get like that cereal grain like I did on the twofold. Mm. but I definitely get, I think I get more fruit. Yeah. And so um, in a weird kind of way, the cereal characteristics in the wheat kind of um, create space. Like it's a bit more like open. I kind of think of it as an open whiskey, whereas this is a little bit more compact and dense and like um, all the flavors that are in twofold are still there, but they're just kind of tighter. Um, mm. and you just need to kind of like, you know, you spend more time kind of discovering them. But the difference here is that I think if you thought twofold lingers, this is going to linger longer. You yeah. Know, like it is, a, you know, extremely lengthy whiskey for a very young whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, and that's part wine, part malted barley. It's almost, it's almost got that rye, kind of that rye spice feel to it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the and that fruit is like really strong up front, but like again, it's the kind of with that twofold, it's not a sweet fruit, uh, and like it lingers a lot. But I feel like the kind of lingering in a different part than I did with the twofold, yeah. Uh, but it sticks around really nice, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think the thing here is too that, like, I mean, every craft distiller that you probably had on the show says that you know, of course, my whiskey makes great classic cocktails, right? Mm -hmm. but you know, this makes the best Manhattan in the world, yeah. right? Like, I mean, if you think about it, like if a whiskey aged in red wine barrels can't make a decent Manhattan, given that mm -hmm. the other ingredients vermouth, right? Yeah. We should just shut the gates. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, the house spec at home here is basically uh, Nova um, Cocky Torino or Dolan Vermouth. Those are my two favorites. Um, and then uh, pay shorts bitters. So if you're oh. into Manhattans, you're going to love this. Yeah. Yeah. I could see this one going over really well. I could see this one going over really well at home here with, with my wife. I think she'd dig this one. Yeah. Because this, I think it's the, uh, 
the like you said the the ability for it to stick around gives it that like unique kind of the whiskey feel that you want i mean nobody wants to taste a whiskey and have just be gone um so the way that it lingers both of these like it's really really nice um this one has a totally different mouthfeel i think it lingers nicely but like to me this sticks around on the tongue more than the twofold did this is almost like in the back of your mouth a little bit more um but this like i've had three sips of this and each one of them is a little bit different yeah it's crazy yeah yeah yeah. and that's what will happen like you know um it's kind of weird in a way because it's like it's still the same whiskey but it does kind of take on different um characters and like i said you know pour yourself three fingers you know queue up something on amazon or netflix and just kind of get to know it and you know you'll you just kind of like be so like you'll shake your head i do it it's kind of funny right like i've been living with these whiskeys forever and i still kind of shake my head particularly nervous like you know like and we did a master class last night and someone picked out a note and oh they said it's kind of like french toast and i'm like Wow, I never thought of that. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like a, a, an interesting sort of tasting note um, that sort of uh, I'd never thought of before. And, and um, it's fun doing that. Yeah, it's it's cool how it's got the fruit. It's got the spice. Like it's got a little bit of everything. Um, and, and, and it's just a, it's a really, really nice bottle. I'm in on this yeah. one. Yeah. And, is- and again, you know, like it's not, it's not supposed to be, you know, how can I put it? It's one of those whiskeys that's supposed to be thoughtful, right? Like, so mm-hmm. there's a lot going on there. You can sit with this for a long while, but it's not like a, a hundred and something proof yeah. whiskey. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it, but it's like you could sip on it for a while without ha- like, it's not like you have to sit on it for because you have to like acclimate yourself to the proof. You can kind of sip on it because there is so much complexity to it that it like it does change. I told you two sips ago, I got a really strong, almost rye note where you have that, like almost that effervescent feel in your mouth. And then now I have not had that since like the second sip. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. What is the, so what's the price point on this one here? So yeah, depending on the market, um, uh, around about, you know, like high forties to mid fifties. So 48 okay. to like 55. Okay. So this yeah. is the this is kind of your your step up from the twofold in terms of price point. In terms of price point, yeah, but like it's interesting, right? Um, you know, we do a lot of blind tastings and say which one do you prefer, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, I would never drink Nova. This one, like, this is way better, right? Yeah. Like, and no price is mentioned, so yeah. it's only it's only really um, you know a matter of taste at the end of the day. Both of them are extremely well crafted. It's just that you know, obviously, with twofold you know, the, we wanted something that, you know, we made a, a lot of it, you know, like to make sure that we could get that price to, yeah. the, to where it is and, and therefore like have it on the shelf next to, you know, some of the whiskeys that you would think of having in your sharing cabinet anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, what? tell me about some of the others that you guys are making that you have that uh, that you think people would possibly enjoy. Yes, so we've got on allocation, and this is a shameless plug, you can, you know, like you need to register at our website at starwood.com to kind of get um, notified when it when it arrives. It's our first whiskey that we ever launched called Starwood Solera. Mm-hmm. And it's a single malt like Nova, but instead of using red wine barrels, we use um, fortified Australian wine barrels. Um, the, the wine style is called Apera, like aperitif, but... Um, 
it's mostly you know like you'd think of it as like a sherry style but um you know rather than being those darker dried fruits that you kind of get with sherry casks this is more bright fruits apricots you know candied orange you know with caramel toffee creme brulee like it's more american oak focused and so it's um it's 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 decadent and um you know sweeter like real sweeter like we were talking about beforehand yeah. the others aren't this is a bit sweeter so it's um but but it uh makes amazing sours and um you know you can take it for you know like and and you know a pretty decent old-fashioned as well right you can go mm. easy on the sugar syrup and yeah you know, have it all all booze forward right yeah yeah i'm in on that that's uh it just seems like the the length of aging in the wine barrel makes it so much more unique than something that's just finished and, and obviously not everybody can do that all the time um but i think that definitely is something that's that makes us very unique and very cool and, and like you said worth having on the shelf to to share and go hey this is something different try this out see how you like this um whether it's one or the other or both and, and compare and you know not don't give the price points necessarily but hey try this and try this and see which ones you like but uh, it's just such a cool it's, a, it's so different um I, I think it's definitely something that people would like to have on their shelf and they need to branch out a little bit absolutely yeah 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 and you know um like i said earlier i mean i love my bourbons like you know i probably got weirdly you know in moving to the united states i think i brought more bourbon than I did any other whiskey style to 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 the United States from my collection, right? So yeah. it's kind of weird that I brought a whole heap of bourbon from Australia to the United States. That was, yeah. you know, American bourbon in the first instance, but it's just um, it's a huge part of my um, drinking repertoire. Um, mm -hmm. And so you know, like when I'm not asking you to stop drinking bourbon and start drinking Starwood yeah. at all, but like you know, to your point, like just push it push push it out a bit you know have a, have a yeah. few more things on the shelf that are like um interesting and curious and kind of make you think a bit more about um whiskey which is always good yeah what so and this is kind of a loaded question but because it's yours how it's a it's a very busy market when you when you've got the big boys you know coming out of kentucky and the bourbon and then you've got like your Irish whiskey, which is kind of its own thing. And I've got my Irish whiskey that I prefer over others. And, you know, for me, I haven't gotten into scotches. And I know that that's like a lot of people love the scotch, but um, I have a couple of Isla scotches that I really like, and they're not super high end, but I do like that peat. Um, you know, and, and again, it's just a, the, the price for scotch jumps up so rapidly that yeah, it's, right. it's very difficult for me to get into it when I know I can get some others for, uh, a lot less that I'm going to really enjoy. But in terms of just whiskey in general, how do you stick out? Um, how do you like, is it, is it to draw attention to Australia yeah. uh, or just outside of the United States and, and getting people to branch out to, you know, some whiskeys they may, or, or regions they may not have had, but um, totally I, I think question, I think, um, I think with whiskey drinkers, like people that are already a whisk, drinking whiskey, sort of like letting them know that whiskey can come, really good, well-crafted whiskey can come from anywhere around the world. And Australia happens to be one of them. And this is what we do to make it different, age it in wine barrels. And we've got this crazy climate 
and um, you know we seem to know what we're doing in terms of crafting a decent whiskey. That's one story, right? Yeah. Like just a really great example of what the world is doing in terms of new styles of whiskey from different places, or um, well, new styles of whiskey from old places, or old styles of whiskey from new places, right? That's kind of what's happening, I think, you know. And then, um, but there's another audience that you know. I guess I've had a few years in Australia to kind of really learn about and discover, which is like, there's a whole new generation of whiskey drinkers that are drinking, say, for example, Jamison or like, you know, um, maybe uh, Toki, like the Japanese whiskey. And they're doing that because they're different and not what their dad drank. But that's the yeah. only reason why, right? Yeah. They want to get into whiskey, but they just don't know where to start. And typically they, they're interested because, um, you know, whiskey's at the top of the flavor tree when it comes to spirits, right? Like mm. even dark spirits. I mean, rum's pretty flavorsome, but, you know, it's no, no match for whiskey in terms of depth and complexity. So people are chasing flavor. So, you know, a lot of foodies and people that just love, you know, are kind of obsessed with making food, eating food um, in a good way, in a healthy way, right? Um, are into whiskey, right? And so for them, it's less about we're from Australia because that gets you like 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, and more about the fact that, you know, we're equally as obsessed about Starwood being an ingredient as they are, yeah. right? So, you know, you've heard me talk about the fact that we love it in, with tonic. We like it, you know, in highballs. Try it, you know, like it makes a smashing... Um, Manhattan, all those sorts of things are like things that for me are kind of anchored in this kind of food obsession that I have. You know, I come from a Sicilian background, as you know, right? Food is the central kind of thing yep. that kind of connects family, right? In an Italian culture. And so like, um, there's no accident that that's sort of like a real key part of um, how we want to have conversations with people. And, you know, that's hard. That's really, really hard to talk about with what is it four inches of shelf space on a you know on 50 feet of uh, wow. whiskey that's available but you know that's that's our goal you know is to kind of make people realize that starwood you know is a whiskey that you can kind of ha have at the table you know and and think about it as an ingredient in a great drink just the same way you think of like other flavor forward things as ingredients when you're cooking you know yeah but you're just making a drink instead of food and yeah. that's that's really exciting and we're not robinson caruso in that right like there's some great brands that are starting to think about hey it's okay to mix whiskey right mm. um take it for a walk you know and and um use the flavors that are in the whiskey to kind of really um uh, make something even more interesting than the whiskey itself. But for a lot of people, and you know, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people that listen to your podcast, whiskey is just that. It's just whiskey, neat, mm. maybe with some water or on the rocks. That's it, right? Yeah. Um, and it, and it, just funny as it is for me too. And and I, but I love the way you put that because like better whiskey is going to make a better cocktail. And so it's like if you have, like, I think a lot of people will tend to gravitate towards you know i'm not going to name any names of like major brands but you know like a lower shelf uh tier of whatever you know bottle they have 
and mix it and say, okay, well, I'm going to make a old fashioned with this one because I'm not going to use my good stuff for it. But if you're using good whiskey, like you're going to have a better cocktail. Yeah. And look, you know, and here's the thing, right? Like particularly with bourbons and you touched on it before, like you can get some smashing bourbons for like 25 Mm -hmm. bucks. Yeah. Like really, really good bourbons. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so the challenge is, you know, and when, Never say never, but it's going to take us a very, very long time before we could kind of have a price point at $25. But, you know, if you think about what we've been saying is like, well, for 30, I can have this really interesting flavor profile that I'm never going to get from bourbon, right? And I'm not going to get from scotch and scotches are way more expensive anyway. All of a sudden, we've got reason to kind of be on that sharing cabinet, not just as something that's interesting, but that can make really delicious drinks. And that's kind of how do we cut through? We make delicious drinks. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a great, I mean, that's a great way to look at it. It's an ingredient and it can make a great cocktail and something for people to really enjoy in different ways. I would drink this neat and I, I certainly want to try the the tonic because that's something I've never done before. And uh, I think you got me sold on that one. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate these bottles because these are great. I've been dying to try these and these were certainly, you know, as, uh, as good as they were built up to be, cause I've heard nothing but good things about them. Awesome. Um, so I was really excited to try these. I'm, I'm stoked. They were as good as they are. Um, where you mentioned the website, tell me the website again, and then social media also, where are you guys best to be found out? Yeah. So, um, the website's starwood.com. Um, and, um, down the bottom of the page, subscribe because that limited release on allocation whiskey is coming shortly. Um, and you want to get yourself a bottle of that. Um, and, um, you know, our handles are all at Starwood whiskey. So, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. One last thing I got to ask when you look at the bottle and it says to enter your unique bottle code online, where do you do that? Because I want to look at that and see what that's about. That's coming. So another okay. reason why you need to register. So we'll, we'll, we'll say, hey, keep that bottle. Take a photo. Okay. Um, it's it's our loyalty program. So the more bottles cool. you drink, the higher, you know, the more tickets you get in the draw effectively uh, for, for those allocated products. Oh, cool. So, well, it's a great you know, idea. We don't, wanna, we don't wanna just put the price up and have the person with the deepest pockets get them. We want those yeah. that are most loyal to us to kind of grab them. So yeah, it's <laughs> coming. It's coming, it's not far away. I think that's a great idea. And you're right. Like there's a, you know, there's a lot of bottles that are out there that people, everybody wants to, to go get. And unfortunately how the secondary market, especially with bourbon has gone, like the, um, the people with the deepest pockets have the most availability to those bottles when normally on the shelf, they're not as expensive as they're going to be on, on secondary. And people, uh, unfortunately don't get an opportunity to try a lot of really good bottles because, you know, they get jacked up when in, in their normal retail price, they could probably afford them. So mm-hmm. I think it's cool that like, reward the loyalty instead of the, you know, person that has the the money and the means to do that. Yeah, we're, we're all whiskey drinkers at the end of the day, right? So oh. like, I mean, you know, hey, if I wanted to be rich, I would have done it a very, very different way. You don't get rich very yeah. quickly making, <laughs> making whiskey, let me tell you. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, I'm looking for, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to get on there and try out a couple more. These are outstanding. And I, I like I said, again, I, I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. No problems, Tony. And keep in touch. I'll, I'll let you know when we've got some single barrels and other interesting stuff coming to market. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Cool. Thanks, Dave. Yes. Bye.